Blog Talk Radio. Phyllis since the early 70s 
and I saw that Betty was devastated but not surprised that Phyllis had taken her own life. And I think my journalistic instincts kicked in and said, you know, there must be a story there. And I think those instincts, combined with my own desire to know more about Phyllis, uh, led me to write the book. So it, it was a dream 10 years in the making. When I really got started on wow. it, it was five years from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were many stops and starts. Many mm-hmm. people told me, you can't do it, don't do it, tried to stop me from getting it done. They told me there were other books coming out, and uh, I waited for them, and they never materialized. And finally I realized if I wanted to read a book about Phyllis Hyman, I was going to have to write a book about Phyllis Hyman, and that's what I did. I would like to ask first, how did you go about finding the research about this legendary lady, songstress? I think a biography, writing a biography is like putting together a puzzle. You sort of start from the outside and work your way in. So I started with those who were sort of on the periphery, who had little new fillers for pieces of time or had pieces of the story that helped me sort of fill in the border. Uh, I was also very fortunate that as I got closer to the center, I uh, had the cooperation of all six of Phyllis's siblings. And I was able to acquire a large collection of her personal memorabilia, her papers and documents uh, and contracts, you know, letters, cards, all of that sort of stuff. Phyllis had also saved every press clipping that she had had, had ever, anything that had ever been written about her, she saved. Uh, And I was able to get copies of all of that from, uh, I was able to acquire copies of all of that from her estate, as well as I listened to over a hundred of her show tapes. She recorded all of her shows, her concerts. I listened to all those and was able to get a lot of rare uh, quotes and get a, a, a good feel for her live shows and her traveling on the road for all those years. And then uh, I just kept going until eventually I was able to strike a partnership with her estate and uh, her late manager, Glenda Garcia, and work with her and just uh, try to bring about a true and accurate portrayal. You know, I think mm-hmm. everyone, of course, wanted to know why she chose to take her life. No one can answer that but Phyllis. But it was important to me that I try to show people her progression so that perhaps they'd have a little better understanding and could find a little more peace with the decision she ultimately chose to make. And you said you were able to get um, information from her siblings, you said, right? Yes, I interviewed all six of them. Wow, that that has to be a blessing. Um, it was know, a blessing. I actually... I actually traveled to Pittsburgh where Phyllis grew up, and I got to hang out with her sister, Jeannie. And, uh, you know, that's where I was able to get a lot of the rare photos that I was able to include in the book. And uh, when I first heard Jeannie's voice on the phone, you know, she sounds so much like Phyllis. And when I first met her, you know, I walked up to her, and she looked so much like Phyllis. It was almost it was almost eerie, but it was such a great blessing to be able to work with the family. And... Uh, they did help me to get a lot of uh, perspective about her family history and, and the mental illness that, that ran through it. And uh, like I said, everyone had a piece of the puzzle. It was just my job to put them all together. Now, when I listen to Phyllis, you know, I think, you know, I, I hear more than just a longing for a relationship, whether it been with a man or a woman. I, I, I feel like, She's longing in general, you know. I don't know if she was close to her siblings or what was going on with the record deals. The record, I know the music industry was changing. And um, do you feel that that lack of connectedness in general, you know, was one of the issues that she had? 
Well, I think the longing that you heard in her voice was a longing for love, be that not necessarily romantic love, but uh, a love of life, uh, right, a love of right. people, and a, and, a, and a love of self. And, and unfortunately, she tried to put all these other types of love, personal success, relation success, in order, but she didn't have that self-love, which was the key to it all. And without that, she couldn't sustain any other type of love. And she didn't realize, she failed to realize how many people loved her. And because she didn't have that love of self, she couldn't realize why it isn't they loved her. And it made her feel like a fraud or as if she was deceiving people. If they knew the real her, they wouldn't love her as they did, which, of course, was untrue. But Phyllis had a lot of longing on a lot of levels. And her voice was very multi-layered. I call it the voice of satin and stardust. It was, there was a lot going on behind that voice. It was very multi-layered. Right. Why do you feel that she didn't get the recognition? She was a classic ensemble because I have to say that before there was Anita Baker, Charday, or Tony Braxton, there was Phyllis as far as some of her style right. and voices. They all have unique styles, so I'm not comparing them. I'm just saying, why do you think she didn't get the recognition and ended up um, an unsung heroine? I think there are various reasons for that. I think at the beginning, um, Phyllis came along at an awkward time in black music. It was the onset of disco, which didn't necessarily mm -hmm. suit her voice as well as the ballads that she became known for. I think also she was, people like to, record executives, radio like to put people in boxes. She's this type of yeah. artist. She's that type of artist. You couldn't confine Phyllis to any one box or any one genre. You know, she wasn't necessarily soul, she wasn't jazz, she wasn't R&B, she was an amalgamation of all of these different types of music. You know, she did it all, and she blended it all together. I think in her early recording years, she tried to conform to the mold they tried to put her in, but of course she just busted out of that box, and she began to get bitter. She felt that she wasn't appreciated for the unique talent that she possessed, mm -hmm. They were trying to make her into somebody that she wasn't. And as she began to feel uncomfortable with that, she rebelled against it. So she developed a reputation for perhaps being difficult. So mm -hmm. while she was standing on her ground, and we can appreciate her doing that, it also didn't serve her in terms of it made people perhaps not want to work with her. I think it became very important for Phyllis to sing her truth, and her truth, as we talked about, was a lot of pain. And I think you look at a lot of the songs that, that uh, were hitting the charts at the time that her songs were, you know, they were love songs. And Phyllis sang a few of those, but oftentimes she sang about, as you said, her longing. And those right. are songs that people who have people who are deep people can hear that and connect with it and appreciate it and love it. But maybe more casual radio listeners, they're not ready to go that introspective into themselves. Because you listen to Phyllis talk about her issues, it makes you think about your issues. And not everyone wants to go there. So I think when she was singing her truth, she was singing things that maybe were not commercial. So all those factors sort of together resulted in her not being the household name that her talent definitely made her worthy of becoming. Yeah, and I think that many times when a woman, you know, makes her rules or makes things happen for herself, especially black or other minority women, they're considered too strong. But here's the flip side. She's sensitive with strong emotions. And so it's like you were saying, people don't know how to box. Right, how to package how to that. that. Or respond to that. Because here's this strong woman, but she's also longing. She has this very sensitive side. I think, so, the other, you know, I, think you're, I think you're very correct on that. But I think 
particularly you're, you're talking, you know, 30-plus years ago when she was starting out, I, I think you have to realize that sometimes, yes, a woman has to take that power, but you also have to earn it. You have to play the game. The record business, like most business, is a game. Right. You have to sort of do what they want you to do until you can make that name for yourself that brings you that power and allows you to call those shots. But Phyllis couldn't really uh, allow herself to do that. You know, she was signed to Arista Records, Clive Davis, who is a star maker. We know he has that track record. Right. So if she might have been able to play by his rules, he might have been able to do something for her that wasn't necessarily what she wanted, but would have given her that star power to then be in a position to have the control that she needed. But she couldn't allow herself to, to, to bend to his ways. And she, as I said, it made her feel unappreciated that he was trying to change her. So as a result, Phyllis Hyman and Clive Davis were oil and water, and they just did not mix. It was a marriage made in hell. Now, Jason, uh, and the reason why I say, okay, some women have, some people have to be strong because they don't have the support. You know, they have to start their own because they're not getting the support. So you're saying she had the support, she just didn't, you know, what's the term, fake it till you make it? <laughs> do what you Fake it till you make it, right. You got you got to play the game, you know, especially as we said then. You know, it was harder for women in the business. It was, of course, harder for black women in the business. But if she had gone along with Clive <laughs> Davis, maybe, say, if she had gotten some some substantial hits, you know, some 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 big hits, maybe even if it wasn't the type of music she wanted to be making, once she had those hits under her belt, she would then be in the position to dictate terms, you know. But okay. you, you have to prove... You have to prove who you are to get that power. No one, particularly then, starts out with that type of power. And, of course, Clive Davis has an ego as big as any of the, the, the stars that, that were ever on his <laughs> label, you know. So you sort of have to, you know, if you're a shrewd woman, a shrewd anybody, you know you got to stroke, you know, if you deal with a Clive Davis, you have to stroke his ego. And, of course, Phyllis, one of the things we all love and respect about her was Phyllis was not, you know, down with the BS. She wouldn't play those type of games. She was going to be true to herself and what she believed, and we respect okay. her for that. But at the same time, that 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 was a double-edged sword for her, because right. at times that that commitment to being true to herself uh, maybe hurt her cause in terms of her career. And 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 there's the like the saying, you pay the cost to be the boss, you know. Exactly. Um, exactly. Make it do what it do, as they say. Right. Make you it know. do what it do. Yeah, but. Um, so it's funny, as I said, some of the things that we loved about her and loved her for are some of the things that did hurt her, you know, in many ways. We loved her outspokenness, her candidness, that she, whatever was on her mind was out her mouth before it was processed. We loved that about her, but at the same time, some of the things she said were not always the smartest things to say, you know, when when you're sort of in that business environment. You can't just say what you feel. You can't just maybe take on other stars or you can't take on, you know, the boss, you know, and and. We loved that that outspokenness about her, but at the same time, it didn't always do her any favors in terms of making, you know, producers or record labels want to work with her uh, or nurture her. Some of them felt, you know, well, she doesn't want this support that we're trying to give her, obviously, so, you know, we don't need to keep trying to do that, you know. She didn't realize when it was appropriate to tell all and when it would have served her better to, to keep her mouth closed. She just wasn't able to do that. So it wasn't an issue of lack of support. It was an issue of really her, what is the word, really sticking to her guns and, you know, wanting to just, like you said, be strictly true to herself. 
because you know before I you know read you know the book and I thought maybe she just wasn't supported in the industry. You know, it wasn't so much that she was just so difficult, but maybe she just wasn't supported because maybe they didn't want to promote her style, you know? It's a little bit of both. She she had support, but again, the, the type of music that she was trying to make or that she was so great at making in the early days of her career was not necessarily the type of music that was topping the charts. So what she wanted was the support and someone, if you look at Roberta Flack when, when she was first signed to Atlantic, they nurtured her and helped her find her own unique sound. You know, they wanted to bring out the talent that was already innately inside of her. As opposed to Phyllis, there were a lot of people around her who supported her in terms of they were trying to make her a star, but they were trying to make her the type of star they thought she should be as opposed to really nurturing her and giving her the type of uh, attention that she needed to develop her own unique talent. And as a result, she felt there's something wrong with me the way I am. They're trying to change me. They may have had good intentions. They were trying to get her a hit you know, with the type of music that was getting radio airplay at that time. But Phyllis saw it as there's something wrong with me. They don't like me as I am. They're trying to change me. And, of course, she rebelled against that. And. Jason, I know you've had some, you know, very good reviews with the book, and I know that must feel amazing. But was there some any opposition from the people, um, you know, people who are, you know, maybe focused on somebody's personal life um, versus their um, public life who didn't know about her personal lifestyle or know what she was going through emotionally? Did anybody, um, you know, any readers that say, what, you know? You know, the book has been a blessing for me in that it has brought a lot of peace and healing to a lot of people, people who were fans and didn't know her and people who knew her intimately. You know, there were there were people who knew her very well who contacted me after the book came out and, and thanked me for what I had done. It, it helped them to make peace with her transition and the role that she had played in their life because, as I said, it helped them to see the big picture, you know, it put all the pieces together. So um, one of the most gratifying things about this project were the letters and the emails and the telephone calls I received uh, from people who felt like they understood her and why she did what she did a little better after reading the book. So that was one of the biggest blessings um, there was resistance, of course, from certain people. Some people felt like, you know, they needed to keep all her secrets under their hat. And, of course, I can understand that and respect that. I wasn't trying to, uh, you know, expose her in any way, but Phyllis kept it real and raw. That was always the way she was in life. One of the last songs she recorded was a song called uh, Come Right or Not at All, and she says, I'm not ashamed in any way of how I live my life. She put it all mm -hmm. out there. So I was just keeping the tradition that she started, and I told everything that I told just as I said to try to help people understand. And I think I did it in a very respectful and tasteful manner. I worked very closely with, as I said, her family and her, her estate, the uh, her former manager and the executrix of her estate. We read the book together cover to cover mm -hmm. to uh, to decide together what we thought was appropriate to tell and what wasn't. And uh, so I think we, we put together uh, a very well-rounded, uh, fair and balanced book that, if anything, will only leave readers with more empathy and more love and more respect for Phyllis and would not take anything away from anything they felt for her before. And with her style and talent, you know, her lifestyle or, or you know, illness, 
doesn't matter. Not at least not to me. <laughs> you know, it shouldn't Correct. matter. But I'm just saying, right. you know, and if you got the blessing from her siblings to go ahead and do that, um I'm just When curious. you read this book, let me just say, April, really quick. When you read sure. this book, as you said, and you read about the mental illness and the family history and all the struggles that she went through for so very long, to me it makes what she was able to accomplish on this earth all the more remarkable because right. despite all right. the demons she struggled and battled with for so long, she was able to sustain long enough to leave us with a beautiful legacy of music that will live on forever and ever. And and I think it, it, it makes that all the more remarkable when you read this book and know what it was she was fighting at the same time she was making this music for us. And I was certainly probably one of the first people to go out and buy it, Jam. Well, thank you. I want to know, what do you feel is her legacy? What do you feel, well, even her sisters, her family, what do you feel is her her the her legacy left behind? Because there aren't many feelings, with the exception, you know, I have a diverse taste in music, but with the exception of maybe Jill Scott, who I hear that realness in her lyrics, you know, what do you feel is her legacy? Because they will, will never be another one, another Phyllis Hyman. No. There will never be another, and, and I think, you know, we were talking about mental illness. Phyllis, of course, suffered from a bipolar disorder, uh, and as a result had, a, had an addictive personality, tried to self-medicate in, in many different means. Um, and, you know, she came from a family where mental illness was prevalent. Uh, she had other siblings who suffered from bipolar disorder, chemical depression, uh, as she did. And I tell people all the time that Strength of a Woman, the Phyllis Hyman story, is a cautionary tale. And the moral of the story is you either take care of your issues or your issues will take care of her. And I think that um, that's part of Phyllis's legacy. She ultimately chose to take her life. She she couldn't she couldn't take that journey. She couldn't face those demons head on, and so she eventually chose to dodge them by taking herself out. And I think it's it's very timely we're doing this interview and talking about this now when we see the suicide of Don Cornelius, you know, the Soul Train creator and founder, which happened just a few days ago. Um, you know, sometimes people don't know how loved they are. Sometimes people don't love themselves enough. And sometimes people just are unable or unwilling to take on those issues, those demons inside of them, which we all have. And either you're going to get the better of them or they're going to get the better of you. So I think that's an important lesson we can take from Phyllis's story. And I think as far as her legacy, I think, as you as you mentioned, the longing, it's a, it's a legacy of love and longing, a type of honesty, uh, in vocal presentation that's been unmatched, I think, you know, before or since. Uh, and she was she was the real deal. And and there are no middle-of-the-road Phyllis Hyman fans. Either people don't care for her or they love her down, you know. And, and I think for those who were able to get it, you know, who to get who she was and, and what she did and how real and raw she kept it, uh, as you said, there'll never be another. And I think that's part of her legacy as well, her, her her uniqueness, her realness. It's been unmatched, unparalleled. But, you know, I just want to say as far as, like, for example, you know, let's say somebody's trying to make it hard and they're not getting the support and they're suffering from anxiety, they're suffering from depression, they're suffering from a little bit of bipolar, they're trying to take care of themselves. Because do you feel like sometimes, People who look like they have it together are not going to get the help they need from the medical profession. Honestly, that often 
that that oftentimes is the case, and it's often very difficult. Uh, I myself suffer from a form of bipolar disorder, um, mm-hmm. you know, as Phyllis did, and I tell people that, and I tell people that writing this book and learning about the, the pitfalls that, that Phyllis fell into, I feel helps me to uh, avoid some of my own, although it's a daily uh, battle that I and many others, you know, face. Thirty percent of those who are diagnosed with pi- bipolar disorder die by suicide, you know, so that's just a statistic. And it's very, very hard. You know, it's very hard for people to get there are lots of insurances who don't cover mental health services or very limited mental health services. It is sometimes very difficult to get the help. But you have to not stop trying. You have to yell as loud as you can and do whatever you can to get the help because it is out there if you can't track it down. And what's the alternative? And what if you do all that, Jason, and you're basically told you're a strong woman, get over it? <laughs> I mean, you're a strong mental woman, illness carries man, strong person, get over it. Oh, snap out of it. You did this. You can keep going. I think, There's honestly, a- that could make somebody, you know, take their life. I don't know her situation. I don't know how active her sisters were in her journey. But, you know, it's a sensitive issue to, you know. Right. Mental illness does carry a big stigma, and a lot of people don't understand much about it. And if they see someone, you know, you can have a depression that is that is paralyzing, that is, that is uh, incapacitating, that is debilitating, and someone, they will tell you that, oh, snap out of it, oh, cheer up, oh, get up and do something. They don't understand. Right, and that's a lot of times, unfortunately, yeah. with the black community, it's not treated the same. Right. You know, or you need Jesus, It's pretty, or you need to go to church or... Right, right. Just pray. <laughs> right, yeah, right. That, 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 that's definitely true, and it definitely is a battle. And as I said, there are a lot of people who who don't win that battle. But I say keep trying, keep hoping. As I said, I fight it every day. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I've been through some dark places and, and continue to go through them. Uh, and sometimes wonder if I'm gonna. Oh, I'm sorry. I remember our conversations. <laughs> When you were writing a book on MySpace, I remember our conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that, many, and I, many a dark day. I didn't think this project would ever see the light of day. And it's ten years. It took you ten years, huh? It was a dream. Ten years in the making, as well, I said, there were stops and starts. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Cool. I, I didn't give up, and 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 I take I take I take pride in that. Uh, it, when I look back, you know, 2012 will be five years since the book came out. And I look back on it with many mixed emotions because on one hand, I feel that I kept my my promise to Phyllis, that I got the story out there, and that just getting it out there made it a success. On the other hand, I'm I'm very sad that it didn't become bigger than it was, that it didn't take off. And with my limited resources, having to put it out myself, I couldn't do the promotion and marketing necessary to really uh, make it as big as I thought it should have been or could have been. So I look back on it with, with, with mixed emotions, but uh, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't have traded the journey that I took, and, and uh, I'm so glad I spent all those years because Phyllis's story was certainly worth it. Phyllis was certainly worth it. And and just a, a question about you know books. Basically, do you feel anybody who writes a biography needs to take their time? They can't do it in a, you know a few months, a year. Do you feel that any book that is going to tell the story and do it justice needs to take a certain amount of time and focus. Well, you know, I guess to a degree it's going to take as long as it's going to take. I don't think you should do a rush job, of course, 
But I think you have to be willing to really try to put yourself inside that person's mind, which is part of what made this so difficult for me because Phyllis's mind was a very dark and troubled place to be. But that's what I really tried to do uh, was just put myself inside of her mind. And uh, it, was a, it was a journey of faith, and I had to have faith that I would make it through it. And, and I did have to, uh, to pray uh, that I would get it right, that I would understand. I had to pray for understanding. There were times when... I myself was probably being too harsh that, that I was passing judgment on Phyllis. I had to pray to, that all judgment would be taken away, that I would, would just, you know, see it for what it was and experience it as she experienced it and, and, and not with any of my biases or prejudices or judgments. And uh, it, it, you have to immerse yourself in a person's life that you're writing about. So basically what I would say more than any, any amount of time is you have to be willing to make a true commitment to that person. If if you want to want to get the real deal out there, you have to commit uh, to that person, as I did to Phyllis. I I, I made a promise to, to her spirit that, that I would do her justice as best as I could, and I would get it out there. It took a little longer than I expected, but I did it. And, Jason, I appreciate you even mentioning a illness. Do you feel like it was easier for you, you know, to write about, someone else who suffered from it than to write your own story. I'm not sure if it was easier. There were times where maybe it was more challenging because as I was struggling with my my own issues, my own bipolar disorder, my own depression, there were days when or, or weeks, periods where I was so low and I wasn't sure if it was my own issues I was dealing with or if it was my empathy for Phyllis and her issues that I were battling with. As I said, there were some very uh, dark valleys I went through on, on this journey, uh, but I think ultimately... Uh, it helped me, and it, and it continues to help me uh, looking at some of what she faced and, and some of uh, what she chose to do. Phyllis and I, you know, it's no mistake I felt that connection to her from the first time I heard her voice because the more I learned about Phyllis, the more I realized she and I had in common. So it's been it's been a powerful tool for me uh, examining her life in terms of uh, it helped me to examine my own and to take stock of where I was at and what I was doing and, uh, you know, how I was uh, doing a disservice to myself, as Phyllis often did to herself. And so sometimes I'll, 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 I'll check myself and say, yeah, you know, that's the Phyllis talking right there. Get that out the way. And, uh, you know, sabotaging opportunities is something. Phyllis had a need to be in, in control because she felt so... Out of, she felt that she was not in control of herself, so she felt that it was so necessary to produce an illusion of control. So she would often sabotage some of the greatest opportunities that she had. Her insecurities would sabotage them for her, you know, uh, playing Shug Avery in the color purple, you know, and oh, yeah, then trying to tell Steve. Yeah, trying to tell Steven Spielberg how to run his read-through is, is not going to do you any favors. But she panicked. She was so nervous. Again, she felt she didn't belong there in the company of Danny Glover and Oprah Winfrey. She wasn't good enough. And as a result, she allowed her insecurities to get the best of her and ruin what could have been one of the biggest opportunities of her career. So uh, I, I look at things like that when, when I'm on, on the verge of doing the same thing, of sabotaging myself. And uh, I I take the lessons that I learned from Phyllis to heart, and uh, I try to remember what she did and sometimes uh, try to make better decisions. I have my last, my last question. It's kind of off subject, kind of on subject, but 
What about when you're kind of persecuted unfairly? Because when you start out in this business, you know, you're going to go through trial and error. You may not say the right things, but then you got some people who are going to take that opportunity to, you know, maybe put a knife in, knife in your back because um, they recognize talent, but they feel that you you need to pay your dues and maybe you don't fit into a category. So I'm just saying, you know, um, I guess, you know, what I I tend to think is, you know, maybe she just didn't have the support that she felt like she needed. I don't know. <laughs> you you researched this. You talked to her family and her sisters. But I'm I'm speaking from, you know, even like my standpoint of, you know, being what is called sort of a newcomer to the business, you know, where you work extra well, hard and you don't feel I, like you're getting the support or you're, people are changing on you every day. But, you know, I know it takes time, and I'm not trying to tell my story right now. I think the support that Phyllis needed most that she did not have was that love of self, was the support that came from herself. She needed to give herself a break. She needed to uh, appreciate herself more than she did. And it was, of course, her mental illness that prevented her from doing so. And uh, she was in and out of therapy at times. She elected not to continue with therapy. I think Linda Garcia said it best. She began her therapeutic journey, and she sort of hit a wall, a wall of pain that was so uh, deep uh, that that she just didn't want to explore that anymore, didn't want to get to the root of her pain. Because you have to do It's like pulling a weed. You just pull the, the top of the weed that's above the surface. That, that weed's going to grow back. You have to get down to the root of it. And I think Phyllis only allowed herself to go so far on her journey, and then the pain became, for her, too much to continue. So there's no going around it. You know, she just chose not to go through it. And I think um, had she kept on that journey, she might have been able to get to a place eventually where she could break down those walls of pain and, and get to love herself a little more. Uh, because since she did not love herself enough, she wouldn't allow others to love her. You know, as I mentioned in the book, people say she was a very difficult person to be good for because she would not let you you know, uh, be good for her. She would, again, sabotage some of those opportunities. So I think any, if, if there's any um, legacy or anything to take away from Phyllis's story, it's, it's love yourself more. And when you're talking about a professionally or a career starting out in the entertainment industry, uh, don't let anyone shake your faith in yourself, no matter right. what they say. Even if they don't get it, somebody out there will. Just keep going until you find the one that will. And never let anyone make you doubt yourself. Don't be afraid to be flexible, to change things up, to try new things. For me, the journey of this book, everything I learned how to do the right way, I learned by doing it the wrong way first. And sometimes that's just the way it works out in life. But don't let anyone or any rejection or anyone not getting you cause you to doubt yourself. Just love yourself and keep trying until you find the right one who appreciates it. And, Jason, I want to thank you definitely for coming on the show and, you know, telling us about the legendary Phyllis Hyman, her music will always live on, even after all of us are gone. And I right about that, April. Have to come back and um, even, you know, talk about, you know, maybe your your struggle, you know. Sure, sure especially thing. admitting, you know, the bipolar issue because there's a lot of people out there with issues that they're afraid to come forward with. 
You're very right about that. It carries a big stigma, but it was something I felt I, I needed to do. Um, Phyllis kept it real. I figured I needed to keep it real myself. And thank you for having me All on right. today, April. I really appreciate it. All right, Jason, and, and thank you for keeping it real. You're welcome. You, you be blessed. You too. Peace. All right. And Phyllis, you are definitely with us with your music, and your music is timeless. And this is Phyllis Hyman. Back in the day, I'm going to leave you with her first big hit. I think it was in the disco era. You know how to love me. I want you to also tune in next Sunday at 5 p.m. with me, April Deep Aries, Eastern Time. And in the words of the late Don Cornelius of Soul Train, I wish you love, peace, and soul.